2 Chronicles chapter 32 this morning. 2 Chronicles chapter 32. I just heard, I believe it was yesterday, something very interesting. I heard that the baby boomer generation, that would be uh, more pastor's generation, uh, baby boomer generation has $71 trillion kind of in, you know, in their generation when it comes to um, in their investments. Of course, their investments are <laughs> down by trillions now, I guess, uh, in the last few weeks. But $71 trillion is sitting. There's a lot of wealth in that generation. Okay? There's been a lot of success, a lot of hard, hard work. And as you go down the generations to uh, X and then um, the millennials and so on, you find um, a lot less drive for um, just succeeding. In fact, somebody gave an illustration, I think it was yesterday, uh, on the radio, it might have been Mark Belling, and he was talking about the typical cycle of a millennial or a Gen Zer's life. You know, they get up and you know, they, they, uh, maybe they get up, <laughs> and, uh, you know, 8 or 10 in the morning, and then, you know, they... Um, um, you know, he said they, I forget how he started out, but then he's like, then they smoke pot for a little while, and then they go play a video game, and then they do things they shouldn't do on the internet, and then they go do this again, they take it, they fall asleep for a couple more hours, they drink some, they do some more, and it was, that's basically how he described a lot of the generation. By the way, that's true. Never in our um, lifetime has, or ne- never, probably in the history of our country, better way to say it, has there ever been more people not working, not with any drive or expectation. And unfortunately, this kind of thing is infiltrating big time into our Christian homes. Um, and, uh, and so this kind of mentality of just, you know, mom and dad have been successful, and, and the parents also have a, they're not challenging their young people with, with, with a vision. I'm speaking secular, but now into the Christian realm. And there's a, a lack of expectation, even of victory and encouragement in our own lives and God working. I know one thing that didn't help uh, believers was the last couple years with the, the whole COVID pandemic. You know, just a lot of things happened with that. I remember back at the end of 2020, I think a lot of folks were saying, what's the best thing about 2021? And they were saying, 2020 is over. <laughs> I don't think 2021 was a whole lot better, really. And now we're getting, uh, we're three quarters of the way through 2022. And we're staring at a very negative outlook, if you look at our country, for the days ahead, no matter what happens in November. So there can be that sense of pessimism, right, about the days ahead. Um, I think about the political instability that we have in our nation. I remember being in D.C. back in March, and I was uh, in the Capitol Club uh, for the Republicans. It was a very nice place where they come and they gather, you know. And, um, and so I was there with 100 preachers or less. It was a small group of us there. And uh, we were interacting with some of the most well-known conservatives that you've heard of, uh, those who were in the front of defending our former president in the, some of the congressional hearings. And, and so I got to interact with some of them personally. But it was interesting to hear several of them say specifically, the only, our, our country is just a couple years away from complete destruction. And, it, and if God doesn't intervene, we're in big trouble. But there's, and I'm thankful they were saying that, but there's just, a, there's a lot of pessimism because of that. Obviously, the pandemic put us all in a, uh, isn't it frustrating today to feel like you're all, all, all the time having to question the motives and the, um, the advice given by medical personnel? 
and I, I never wanted to be that way, and I, and I don't want to be that way, but just what we've seen going on from a national level. And I told my wife's uh, doctor uh, not too long ago when everything was going on and all the talk about, you know, whether or not you have a vaccine or all these things. And uh, we were talking about it, and I said, you know, one thing that bothers me is that even the decisions you're making with, not you, but your, the hospital's making with regards to who, how many can come to the hospital uh, after a baby's born and all these things, how many can be in the room, there's no thinking outside of the group think. In other words, whatever's being dictated, nobody else is able to, and that the medical world over the years has actually been pretty good about challenging and really looking at science, supposedly, and, and so on. But I said, it's just everything's changed. You know, you all have to just do this one thing. And he said, it's true. And uh, it's not fun, right? Okay. Uh, I, I remember just churches like ours coming under attack for just wanting to be open. That was, that was a weird feeling. Some of you came from communities where you really had to fight that battle. Pastor Lewis did in Chicago. I was proud of him when I heard this pastor in Southside Chicago. The you know the police are at his door, and the and the um, and the mayor of Chicago is upset. You know, and she was calling them out specifically. And I said, praise God for the courage that they had, and they handled it well. But there's also been spiritual devastation that's happened over the last few years. We already had it, but now it's come to the fore a lot more. Have you noticed that, um, or maybe you've heard? The crime rate in cities like ours and in other places has skyrocketed. We have a lot of different things like that. Of course, the drug use. Back a year ago, a year and a half ago, 50% of the young people in Milwaukee, because it was all virtual school, half of them didn't even log in. Now, we kind of chuckle, but that's, and of course, the education they're getting is a problem. But the fact is, is that means these kids are running loose. By the way, can I just say this, positive? That's a great mission field for us to step in and get involved in these lives, though. I'm burdened about that. I think God can do a lot more. And I want those of you who are involved in the bus ministry to pray that God will even this year open doors for ways to help families and uh, make a difference and see that multiply. But I also was just grieved personally when I saw so much disunity. Some of you experienced this in your local church about how to handle the pandemic. Okay. Um, You know, people were saying the pastor wasn't strong enough and some were saying he was too strong. You know, maybe he opened too fast or you know, not, we didn't, didn't make us wear masks, or he shouldn't have made anybody, you know, or, or even suggested it. You know, just all kinds of things were going on. So there was discouragement with believers. A lot of it was, and some of you faced the same thing. I know some of you were open about it, but you had more time online. And for guys and girls, that can be a bad thing, can it? Right? Some of you fell into sin issues during the pandemic time because you were just online so much, and you had more freedom that way. And it hurt you. You made bad decisions. You got discouraged that way. You kept hearing bad news. It didn't seem like there would be any freedom. And, and honestly, it gets a little frustrating continually hearing all this bad news, right? That's going on today in our country. But um, then we hear of, of you know, things going on in the Christian world, too. And then there's fear. You know, if you listen to enough of our local uh, Christian station or, um, or you know, uh, secular conservative talk, show, talk shows, man, you can get pretty blue pretty fast about the dire, and I'm not saying that they're not speaking truth, but it can get frustrating. Um, I remember Pastor Creed, who will be here in a month for our Monroe Parker Lecture Series. I was talking to him after the, um, right before the January 6th incident, and he was telling me, he said, I've never had anything like this. I've never had so many pastors just calling me. They're just angry, and they're, and they're, and they're, and they're so, um, just with what I got in the election, and they said, and they're so, they're, they're, they're literally, they're so discouraged, they don't even know how to do, what to do. And it wasn't just the election, but they just see where the country's at, which I don't blame them for being concerned. 
But he said, I can't believe how they're responding to it. There's also been, in when, especially when the lockdowns happened, there was a lack of uh, vision for the Great Commission. I'm thankful that God's working in a lot of places, not just here about that. But let me just say this, that no matter what the attack is of the enemy, the expectation for God's people must always be victory. Now, it's interesting in this context here, though, we actually have the opposite of what I just laid out for you. I kind of laid out a pessimistic view of, of things. And honestly, it is very difficult out there. But this was actually, this context here is in a moment where the people of God for 14 years had been experiencing incredible revival. And uh, they had, with Hezekiah, remember um, how uh, Ahaz, his father, died in such disgrace that he wasn't even, he was buried outside of the, you know, he was not buried with the kings. He was buried apart from that. If you see at the end of, uh, I believe, chapter 20 or 29. And then, you know, then you have Hezekiah. He steps in and he begins to follow God. And wow, I mean, God just blesses in incredible ways. God is working. And, uh, and, and so you, you, and then you find a moment of crisis here. So as I start this message out, it may be that some of you right now are already in the discouragement zone. Or maybe you're looking ahead at this year and you're just kind of in a, a pessimistic mindset. I hope not, but some of you may be. Some of you right now are kind of on the mountaintop. You know, you're a freshman. You just experienced neckcasters. Okay, if you don't mind me asking this, how many of you led your first soul to Christ last week? Is there anybody? One? Several? Yeah. Or at least part of that? Yeah, there's got to be several. And that's nothing to be ashamed of. Praise God. Okay, you were part of that. Um, how many of you were in the middle of seeing a soul get saved last week? Okay. It's exciting, isn't it? All right. Now you're in the prayer class, freshman. And uh, I was talking to some of you walking down, talking to Ben Steckman, but I've also chatted with some others of you, and you were encouraged about what God was doing, and encouraged about what God's doing in your life. And some of you, for the first time, some of you have already met with God through the hour and just through that challenge, but some of you, for the first time, these last two days have been challenged with that, and you're just beginning to just see the glory of spending time with God in ways that you never had before. Wow, what exciting, what an exciting atmosphere to be in the middle of, right? And so right now you're glorying in what God's doing, and, and you should. You should be encouraged. But the fact is, is you're going to, just through your own, by the way, we're our own worst enemy, right? But through your own flesh, your own lack of character, it could be spiritual battles that God lets in your life, you're going to face the temptation to have a pessimistic, defeated spirit. And God here is showing us through this example of how every believer ought to be. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10 says, Now all these things happen unto them for examples, for they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. The stories of what God did with the children of Israel, because Israel and the church are not synonymous, okay, uh, they're written for us as individual believers to learn from, and that's what we want to do. So let's go ahead and look here at this incredible story of Hezekiah and Sennacherib, and uh, I trust that you'll be encouraged by it. But let's look at the, the, the two key verses I'm going to focus on, but we're going to look at a bit of Scripture here in this context. Look at verse 7 of Second Chronicles chapter 32. It says, Be strong and courageous, be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him. For there be more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. First thing I want you to see here in this passage of Scripture is that you are to embrace victory as God's only option for you. 
Embrace victory as God's only option for you. I'm amazed at how many believers have an out in their mind like, well, it may not work out. Or maybe I can't, I can't just crack the code on this one sin issue. Or I can't have victory in this area. Or these relationships and these tough things that I'm facing, I just don't see any hope for them. Listen, in this passage of Scripture, you see a complete impossibility that God's people were facing. But the only option here is victory. And that should be our only option that we embrace. So what's being said here in verse 7, we're going to get to the be strong and courageous in just a moment. But what does he say after that? Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria. Don't be fearful or disheartened. All right. So in embracing victory is God's only option. Don't let fear, don't let the idea of being disheartened be that which dominates you. So what happened was, is we have a great blessing going on and all of a sudden here comes the king of Assyria. And the fact is, is we're not to be surprised when the attack comes. They were at a pinnacle point of revival here in, in, in Israel. A move of God was going on. In fact, God was prospering them. If you look at the last word of the chapter before, look what it says. He did it with all his heart and prospered. Boom. Here's an accurate. Don't be surprised when the attack comes. It may be a weakness of your flesh that flares up. It may be an actual outside type of a pressure that comes on you. That's a very difficult trial. It could be a financial trial. It could be something that happens at home, in your home church. It could be something that all of a sudden, boom, is placed right in front of you. And the Bible says, it's, don't be surprised. First Peter 4, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. Pastor and I have chuckled a few times when we've seen, man, we've seen some great things happen. God's working out. Boom! Oh, I've told Pastor a few times, can't we just enjoy, you know, the moment for like a day or two? You, know? you have a great victory, a great Sunday, and the next day it's like, boom, something happens. Well, that shouldn't surprise us, though. That's part of the way God's working in our life. James chapter 4, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust, and ye have not. Ye kill, and desire to have, and ye cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. But this, this whole thing is saying there is a war going on inside of you, and your flesh is fighting. And one thing your flesh doesn't want you to have is to have sustained victory. So don't be surprised when you're attacked in whatever way it is. So don't be fearful or disheartened. In fact, they have been enjoying this great revival. Look back at 2 Chronicles 29, just real quickly here. I want you to see 29, verse 36. It says, And Hezekiah rejoiced in all the people that God had prepared the people, for the thing was done suddenly. God worked in a remarkable way. He brought them back to true worship. And in fact, to a purist is, is a, a way of, of approaching. In fact, Second Chronicles 30, verse 26, look at this. It says, So there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there was not the like in Jerusalem. Whoa, that's a long time ago. They had not experienced blessing like this since Solomon. Then you find in chapter 31, verses 6 through 8, and concerning the children of Israel and Judah that dwelt in the cities of Judah, 
They also brought in the tithe of oxen and sheep and the tithe of holy things, which were consecrated unto the Lord their God and laid them by heaps. In the third month, they began to lay the foundation of the heaps and finished them in the seventh month. And when Hezekiah and the princes came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. Look over at verse 10. And Azariah, the chief priest of the house of Zadok, answered him and said, Since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have left plenty. For the Lord hath blessed his people and that which which is left is this great store that you see here. That's a move of God, by the way. When God's moving and reviving, people give generously. And that was what was being experienced here. They were enjoying revival, blessing, and prosperity in the work of the Lord. Verse 21. Same chapter of 31. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God and in the law and in the commandments to seek his God, he did it with all his heart and prospered. Here you have the pinnacle of blessing right here. And then verse 30, chapter 32, verse 1. And after these things and the establishment thereof, 14 years later after Hezekiah begins to reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered into Judah. So the, in, the enemy comes here at the pinnacle point. So not only are you not to be surprised by this attack, in fact, just, just count on it. And don't, let, don't be fearful about it. Don't, don't be... Don't be worried about it, but just, just be prepared for it. By the way, a lot of times folks in ministry, they enjoy the blessing, but they want to run from the trial. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I'm sure Pastor Van Gelder has been tempted to run from the trial. But are all of you thankful that he's been 36 years here at this church faithfully going after what God had? Because if he hadn't, you know, there's, there's times that we've seen peak blessing and then there's moments of, of very difficult trial. And it's in those moments that God tests us so that he can trust us with more. What's the whole, we just looked at this in our discipleship class, the whole John 15 process of abiding in Christ. He, he prunes us. He keeps cutting off that dead wood so we don't get glory for ourselves. He wants us to be as fruitful as possible. And part of that is the trying of our faith. So here we have a trial, a real definite trial. Now, let me just say this too, though. Don't let the magnitude of the enemy drive you to fleshly decisions. This is a big thing. Here you are experiencing God's working, and, it, and it's encouraging. And many of you right now are in that, in that, I think many of you probably are experiencing at least some measure of blessing and, and revival in your life. You're encouraged, and you're at a key moment because something's going to happen here in probably the beginning of the nine-week block, just maybe just facing a new challenge or whatever it is, and you're off the euphoria of prayer, prayer class and, uh, and, uh, and evangelism, and now you're facing some other courses and just have a longer term in front of you, and you go, whoa, and you begin to get discouraged about your lack of character, your, pet, your uh, procrastination, whatever it is, and it could be some other more, much more crushing things, and you feel overwhelmed. And many times people that feel overwhelmed do very foolish things. And we're going to see an example of something that actually Hezekiah did that seemed logical but was faithless. Most of this story is encouraging, but there's a moment here that we need to point out. But you have here the enemy, the king of Assyria. Sennacherib was a cruel conqueror. When he came into places, he made a mess of them. And the children of Israel knew that. Uh, the, Judah, the children of Judah here, they, they knew what he had done with Israel, the tribes, the ten tribes. And uh, what the Syrians had done, they, he knew what they were like, and, this, and Sennacherib had a bad reputation. They would even, even, even take people, their, their, uh, con- the people they conquered, they would put fish hooks in their nose, right? And then they would tie that person to the person in front of them. That, that's not real, that's pretty barbaric, isn't it? 
It's inhumane. That's the kind of thing that they knew that if they got taken captive, it would be bad, really ugly. So what does Hezekiah do? Now, look over, keep, keep your finger here and turn over to 2 Kings, a parallel passage here to this chapter. And look at 2 Kings chapter 18, please. And you find here, uh, as I was studying the commentators in, in, in back in, in the Chronicles passage, it says, and when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib was come, then I believe there's a, it doesn't specify what happened when Hezekiah saw that he was come, but I believe we find that filled in here in 2 Kings chapter 18. But look at what happens, all right? 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 13 says, Now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah did Sennacherib king of Assyria come up against all the fenced cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah king of Judah sent to the king of Assyria to Lachish, saying, I have offended. Return for me that which thou puttest on me will I bear. See, he had stopped. He had said, what are we doing paying the Syrians tribute? He had done this years before. And uh, he said, no, we're, we're God's people. We're, we trust the God of heaven to protect us. That was his whole thing. And then all of a sudden, uh-oh, uh-oh, we haven't paid him tribute. And this is something he's expecting of us. So um, I have offended you, king. Now, now, this all makes sense, by the way, right? Because they owed him this, right? Supposedly. So he says, um, that which thou puttest on me, will I bear? Okay, and the king of Assyria appointed unto Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And here's the tragedy. What does Hezekiah do? Now think, he had just been experiencing the prospering hand of God. They were having revival. They were having true worship. God was moving in a powerful way there. And here comes the king. Here comes a very difficult moment, a human impossibility. And he doesn't look to the God of heaven at this moment, initially at least. And he begins to say, what can I do to keep him staved off? Okay. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, oh, that's right. We owe him something. We owe him a tribute. We promised him. Hey, what do you want, man, just to keep you away? So he says, all right, I'll take 300 talents of silver and I'll take 30 of gold. So what does he do? He goes and gets the silver out of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. And then at that time, then he goes and starts cutting the gold off the doors of the temple. Sometimes I'm amazed in my own life, but I'm amazed when I see other people who I see, man, they're walking with God. And all of a sudden, they start making these faithless decisions and just giving away, handing to the enemy back all the blessing that God had been putting in their life because they didn't, they couldn't trust God for that next step. That trial came and what they were experiencing and what they were so encouraged by, oh, uh, I don't know. Okay, uh, I don't know. And you start handing over all the blessing that God had just put on your life because you couldn't face the challenge. You give up on school. Maybe you don't believe God can provide, or maybe it's just an issue of it's too much. And God, you know, called you here. You freshmen gave some of the greatest testimonies I've ever heard for an incoming class. I believe they were, every one of them are real. Guess what? God wants you here. So you face a challenge. You face a hardship. God's testing your faith. He's wanting to do great things in your life. So we, what we do, though, is we appease the enemy in another area. See, this was a, a logical decision, but it was a horrible decision. Sometimes we have the enemy. I'm just going to bring this one up because it affects all of us, men and ladies, unfortunately. But um, let's say that you have an area of, um, of lust issue, maybe a viewing issue and so on. So what's the thing that a lot of times that um, men will do, but even ladies in different ways? 
they'll try to drown it out, not by going all the way and doing what they need to do, but they'll drown it out by doing other pursuits, you know, uh, other things you're just passionately trying to follow. You just put your mind to that, and you're, and, and you're actually surrendering to the enemy. And they're not necessarily wrong things that you're going after, but you're actually not going all the way through with God and getting him to deliver you. Change your character. Change you from the inside out. Make you, you know, you run to something cheap, and you hand over to the enemy um, what God's wanting to do in your life. Don't let, don't let your life be focused on trying to solve your problem by your own strength, because you're going to fail miserably. And that's what Hezekiah did, and this was a failure. What, what a discouraging thing for the people of God to see the gold coming off the temple when they had just been worshiping God with such joy. Tragic. Now, let me say this. Don't be discouraged by past decisions of unbelief. By the way, decisions do have consequences, though. You know, Abraham, to this day, they're still reaping what he sowed with the Hagar and Ishmael moment. But aren't you glad that God ultimately saw Abraham as a man of faith? And look at the, the nation of Israel, all the blessings since then as well. But their attack on Hezekiah had a bit more of a sting um, that they, you know, in, in 2 Kings 8, 18, all time to get into it, but they, there's, there's an attack that's given, you know, even words. They're saying, you know, they're starting to attack Hezekiah, and they're starting to talk, you know, you trusting in the Lord. Okay, verse 22, uh, Rapshakeh said, actually, let's go back to verse 19. What confidence is this wherein thou trusteth? Thou sayest, but they are but vain words. I have counsel and strength for the war. Now on whom dost thou trust? That thou rebellest against me. He was speaking on behalf of Snacherib. Now behold, thou trustest upon the staff of this bruised reed, even upon Egypt, on whom on which if a man lean, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, unto all that trust on him. But if you say unto me, We trust in the Lord our God, is not that he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away, and hath said to Judah and Jerusalem, Ye shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Now I pray thee, give pledges to my Lord the king. So he's He's now, at this point, I mean, Hezekiah just kind of said, we don't really trust the Lord here in this moment. Hey, just whatever we got to do. And now they're just, he's just attacking them right at the foundation of what their core belief was. Is your God big enough to see you through? So, back in verse 7 of chapter 32. Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria. So I believe in, in verse 2, you probably find chapter 18 of 2 Kings, at least part of that there that we, we, we talked about. And then we find God definitely did some kind of a work here in Hezekiah's life to turn his heart to trust God. And it says in that he was purposed, in verse 2, to fight against Jerusalem. This is, uh, Sennacherib was, he saw that. Then what did Hezekiah do? He took counsel with his princes and his mighty men. Okay, so now he actually, God's working in his life. He clearly, um, God had, had delivered him somehow in his heart. He didn't keep on this path. And he made Bold steps. He became strong and courageous. Bold steps to follow God had been taken. Look, already had followed God, made a very serious error, unfortunately. But then he comes back, and he takes counsel with his princes and the mighty men to stop the water. So what he does, he takes bold steps to uh, follow God early on. But then in this moment, he prepares for the attack by keeping the water in the city. Uh, doesn't let flow out there to keep Sennacherib um, um, hydrated and his guys, okay? Uh, he, he repairs and strengthens the walls. He takes definite steps. Let me just say this. All of you and I have definite areas of vulnerability in, in our lives. You know what they are, at least mostly. You know, there's still things that you'll find out as you go along in your life. Definite areas of vulnerability. Did I just challenge you with something? 
Ask God to help you to, by faith, fortify those areas. He's the only one that does it. But be strong and courageous is ultimately what he says to them, and he's doing this in the context of taking steps of faith to shore up areas of clear weakness. He was seeing, he was seeing those areas through, things that they were weak in. He set captains. He organized, the, 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 in verse 6, he organized the captains of war over, over, over the people and gathered them together. And then we get to verse 7, be strong and courageous. Now, not only are we to embrace victory as our only option, but number two, let your victory give you a faith perspective. He says, be strong and courageous, and then know this. Don't be dismayed for the multitude that is with him, for there be more with us than with him. Does that make sense? No, not humanly. Sennacherib had a far superior army, far superior ability to crush them. But then verse 8, with him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Here's where you get off. You miss that point. With him is the arm of flesh. Oh, it's a strong one. <laughs> but with us is the Lord our God. Okay. Now, I know it's a little warm in here. I'm noticing some of you are drifting off on me. So this next point's important. So I hope, I hope you can get it, okay? We'll figure out the heat. But I'm, I'm feeling it too, so I understand your struggle. But let me just say this. You need to focus on the strength of your victor not on the strength of your enemy. See, some of you right now are just constantly focusing on that area of weakness. You have an anger problem. You have an uh, issue with, with, uh, with lust in your heart. You have an issue with relationships, bitterness, whatever it is, and you just keep staring that enemy, at the enemy, and it just feels like it's just, oh, it's just constantly, it's so huge, I can't, I can't win, I can't, there's no way I can have victory in this area. Just, no, it's impossible. That's the wrong focus. He says, look, with us is the Lord, our God, to help us and to fight our battles. Now, let's just take a moment and focus on him. He's your creator. He spoke all things into existence from nothing. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He is the prince of peace. Jesus offers peace in troubling times. Philippians 4 says, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God that passeth all understanding, shall keep or guard your heart and minds. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He reigns supreme over all rulers, all rulers, including our ruler in our, in our nation. Okay, Of course, that doesn't seem hard to believe, but uh, he is. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. Of course, you know the passages in Revelation that speak of that. He is the Almighty Sovereign. He's in ultimate control of all things. He's Jehovah, God's personal name. He is, or He exists. God needs nothing from anyone. He is faithful. God does not go back on His promises. He is El Shaddai. He's the Lord God Almighty. God is the most powerful being. None can compare. He is holy. He is separate or unique from all His creation. He is immutable. He never changes. He is the resurrection and the life. When the Father raised Him up, Jesus conquered death. He is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. He is omniscient. Um, he knows all. Nothing takes him by surprise. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. There is nothing too hard for God. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He can be fully present in every, in every situation, in every place at all times. He is Jehovah Sabaoth. He's the Lord of hosts. God is the God of victorious conquest. He commands the armies of heaven and wields the swords of, uh, sword of omnipotence. He is Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is our deliverer. He's more than able to deliver us in times of struggle and temptation. I didn't even mention he's merciful, he's forgiving, he's loving, and so on. That's your God. You're discouraged today. You got your focus in the wrong place. 
That's why the theme this year is so important. The I am. Know him. Experience him. And join him. Because when you know who he is, you're not going to want to focus on anything else but his cause. So that helps you then to keep the enemy in the right perspective. Because he says, with him is an arm of flesh. Um, Is the enemy real? Well, we know Satan's real, right? He's our... He's the foe against us, going to take everything he, he can, every circumstance, and try to destroy you. The Bible says he's a roaring lion. lion. As a roaring lion, he's seeking to devour you. Uh, Assyria was not a joke. Your temptations are not a joke. Your struggles are not a joke. Your trials are not a joke. They're real. And they're, some of them are excruciating and tough. And by the way, Satan unchecked is a destroyer. You can give him no ground. So is Sennacherib. You give, you give him ground. Oh, boy. He'll take it off. Oh, by the way, I didn't say this. So Hezekiah gives him you know, what he wants, and he comes right after him still. You can't give Satan what he wants a little bit, a little, little ground here, and say, oh, okay, now he's off of me. Uh-uh-uh-uh. He's going in for the kill. He's deceptive. Okay? He's deceptive. Bible says in Ephesians 6 about standing against the wiles of the devil. And then he's defeated, though. That's what I love about it. The armor of the flesh seems so powerful. And yet, right from the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, we know that Satan's a defeated, crushed foe. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So your life, your personal lives and your families that you have should not be an exhibition of defeat. It should be a demonstration of victory because that's who your God is. See? So you fight your battle in, in his strength, not in your weakness. And then third, thir- thirdly, in conclusion, it's important then to rest daily in his word. So you're to embrace the fact that victory is the only option. And then we look lastly about the importance of having the focus in the right place. Let your victory give you a faith perspective. And now here, the last thing is rest daily in his word. Daily rest brings courage. You notice what it says? And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. I wish I had time, but I really don't want to go late here. I wish I had time to walk you into 2 Kings 18 a little bit and then also through the rest of this chapter in 32 and just show you how Sennacherib then sends people to, um, you know, to, to speak, even in the tongue of the Jewish people, and uh, saying, you know, basically you know, saying to them, hey, you know, why are you following him? And, and, uh, and, and they, they were just making attacks upon upon God himself and, and what God could do in, in, in protecting them. But if you think about Joshua chapter 1, the Bible says that only be thou strong and courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law. And then it says in verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. What's going to keep you encouraged? It's going to be just resting in the truth of the word of God. Staying connected to the one who, empower, who will empower you but just as you, as you rest in his promises and in his word, it changes everything, especially when you're attacked. You have to let the truth be that which speaks to you, not the enemy's lies. If you're resting in that word, look at um, verse, oh, this is quickly, if I hope your finger's still there. 2 Kings 18, verse 36 says this. But the people held their peace and answered him not a word. This is the attack they were getting in verbally, just constant. Because why did they not answer him a word? For the king's commandment was saying, answer him not. See, Hezekiah knew that God wanted them to trust God. And so he said, don't answer him. No, just don't answer him. Just don't. And so they rested in that word. 
and the enemies attacked them, didn't shake them. The Bible says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. What's your instinctive response when you're tempted? Do you know how to respond? Well, notice, though, that daily rest uh, gives you courage, but also it leads to an active prayer life. Okay, it's, it's a genuine active prayer life. Knowing his helpless situation, Hezekiah knew where, where to turn. Look at verse 20 of chapter 32. And for this cause, Hezekiah the king and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried to heaven. The Second Kings 19 context talks about how uh, Hezekiah, you know, he cried out to the Lord. He had Isaiah involved in that. And then Isaiah's um, actual, the, 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 the response that he gives that, that he heard from the Lord uh, in chapter 19 uh, in verse 20, he says this, he says, Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, That which thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. That's good stuff. Isaiah said, hey, look, what you've prayed and cried out to, uh, what God's, God's saying to, to you, what you've prayed and cried out to him for, I've heard you. Isn't that great when you know the king of heaven's heard you? And he does hear you when you cry out to him for deliverance. And then verses 32 and 34. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come to the city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with a shield, nor cast a blank against it. Wait, what did you just say, Isaiah? What did the Lord say? He's not going to come in here. He's not going to even shoot an arrow. He's got hundreds of thousands here. What's going on? The zeal, oh, I'm sorry, I just read the verse four. No, he's not going to come before it with a shield nor, with a, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. For I will defend it, this city, to save it for mine own sake. Ah, oh, love that. And for my servant David's sake. God was honoring his word. And he was honoring the fact that uh, the, the car cry of, of Hezekiah, and he says, it's for my own sake that I'm going to show my glory right now. Look, when you cry out to God, it's not for your sake, it's ultimately for his glory. It's for him to show himself big so that when you have victory in your life, everybody can know what a great God you serve. What a horrible thing is when God's people give cause for the enemy to mock and say, is your God really real? But when you cry out to God, he responds and he makes himself big. And when you daily rest in God's word, guess what happens? You can be like 33.3, call him to me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things. And then we know that daily rest results in deliverance. We'll finish with this. 2 Chronicles 32.21 says this. And the Lord sent an angel which cut off all the mighty men of valor and the leaders and the captains in the camp of the king of Assyria. And, he, and so he returned with shame. By the way, we know in the context in Kings, how many died? 185,000. Gone. God fought for them. You know what you need? You need God to fight for you. Because you can't fight on your own. God is the only one that's going to do it. But you know what? Psalm 91, because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call, this is speaking of somebody who's got their face set on God. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. That can be the testimony for every single BCM student, every believer. That's who God is and that's what he wants to do in your life.
So can I challenge you as you are now heading into this school year, we're several, several weeks in, what's your perspective? Can I just say that the only thing that should be your expectation for 22-23 school year is victory because that's who your God is.